So let me tell you how this started. Um, for some reason, I'm on the chapel planning committee. And uh, so we were looking at the spring schedule. And, you know, the years I've been on the committee, scheduling February is a, a little difficult because you've got these special weeks, like, like Isaac was saying earlier. We've got focus week earlier at the, kind of the beginning of the month. We've got P&T at the end of the month. So kind of figuring out what to do in the middle is sometimes a challenge. And we're in the meeting, and I just sort of make this sort of simple, very innocent observation that, hey, you know, Valentine's Day falls on Tuesday, so we'll have to kind of plan chapel. That will be, you know, a challenge and all that. When I said that, everybody in the room turned and looked at me and said in unison, well, Doug, why don't you preach? You've got nothing better to do that day. That's how I choose to remember that, how that happened. It's possible I'm remembering that wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay, I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to do the whole angry prophet thing this morning about being single, but I'm not angry about it. Are there some things that annoy me? Yes, and we'll get to those later. <laughs> but I, wanted, I didn't want to start this morning by saying something that you may have never heard from this stage. Something pretty radically countercultural at Bible college. I'm content being single. I really really am. Even after those announcements, I still am. You know, there are a lot of great things about being single. You know, I never have to wait in line for the bathroom at home. I don't have to run the dishwasher very often. So I'm like saving the planet and all that, you know, just... um, I don't have to watch Reese Witherspoon movies or, or anything with a Gilmore girl in it. Uh, plus, I'm saving you all money. Did you all know this? Since the college doesn't have to pay for my wife and 12 kids, unlike some others, <clears throat> doesn't have to pay their health insurance, since they don't have to pay their health insurance, I'm saving the school money, which keeps tuition low for you. Yes, yes, I get it. All right, all right, enough of that. (laughs) So I'm content, right? Okay. But I have to admit I'm conflicted. And part of this conflict is just this sort of prevailing belief out there that to be a Christian is to be a family person, which I'm totally blaming James Dobson and Caleb for. Um, Because when you think about it, and you actually read the Bible, that's kind of weird. I mean, can you think of all the nice things that Jesus said about families? Maybe a few. I mean, anyone who wants to think of the Bible as this great dating and marriage guide, uh, how many really good married couples do we have in the Bible? Like how we would define that. Abraham and Sarah? Oh, Jacob and Rachel. And Leah? <laughs> weird. Uh, David and Bathsheba, of course, no. Jose and Gomer, of course, no. Ananias and Sapphira, of course, no. <laughs> Job and Miss... No, that's not... It's not better. Now, I will admit that Solomon wrote a very nice love song to one of his 700 wives. 
and the smartest thing that guy ever did was never put a name on it. (laughs) Was that for me? Of course it was for you. Very smart. Very, very smart. Okay. Um, But, you know, I sort of think about this. I could only come up with two, and I know there's others. I just didn't want to think about them. Boaz and Ruth, right? Boaz and Ruth, right? There's a little bit of weirdness in that story. But, you know, Boaz and Ruth. And Priscilla and Aquila, right? And that's a problem for you complementarians. So, so, so if anybody wants, you know, everybody asks me, do you want to get married? I'm like, no, I've read the Bible. Because if anybody spoke about family values in the first century, it wasn't the church. It might have been the Jewish community. Right? Because in the ancient world, you had an absolute duty to yourself, to your, to your family, your extended family, your community, your nation, your God, to get married and have kids. Having kids meant you would have more help on the farm so you wouldn't starve. Right? There'd be a younger generation to care for you when you got older. Having kids meant you would have a large enough force to protect your home if an invading army came in. Living a single celibate life just wasn't an option. It was about as selfish as you could get. I read somewhere as I was doing the study for this that there's no word for bachelor in biblical Hebrew. In fact, Rabbi Eliezer said this, any man who has no wife is no proper man. Later rabbinic tradition says this, seven things are condemned in heaven. The first of these is a man without a woman. That's Jewish tradition. What about the Greco-Roman society in the first century? That was just as big on family values, obviously in a much different way. But having kids in that world ensured a legacy. It ensured your name would not be forgotten. It ensured that you wouldn't become a burden on your community. Caesar Augustus ordered that widows remarry within two years of their husbands dying or be fined. Strong families ensured social stability, something the guardians of the Pax Romana valued quite a bit. You know, it's like Republicans today. (laughs) Ah, come on. (laughs) And so into that world, into that Jewish and Greco-Roman world, came an unmarried rabbi named Jesus. It's a lot more scandalous than we understand. And an unmarried missionary named Paul, who encouraged people to join the scandal of a people who don't need marriage and don't need a biological family to live in a community that loves you and takes care of your needs, to be significant in raising up a younger generation and to leave a legacy that would last beyond your death. Everything the Jewish and Roman communities were looking to the family to fulfill, Christians were finding in the church, in the family of God. That, of course, is them. What's happening now? Well, you know today, family values are mocked in today's culture. right? In the world since the sexual revolution of the 1960s, the world since birth control, abortion on demand, the rise of cohabitation, a world in which much of the $20 billion that's going to be spent today be spent trying to get somebody into bed. $20 billion sacrifice for the God of romance. 
in service to the great overarching religion of our culture, find some way to couple up. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be satisfied in every way, even if it's only for one night. And the church, the church, in response to our culture, has gone all in on family values, right? It's partly, I think, in fear of and in response to the sexual revolution. But mostly, mostly, it was the adoption of what others have called the suburbanation of America. The very comfortable way that we all live in our isolated little homes. When everyone lives on cul-de-sacs and subdivisions with fenced-in backyards and no sidewalks, it's difficult to be unmarried without living alone, without being alone. And I don't know, maybe that possible future terrifies you. And so we, the, the church, I mean, adopted a Christianized version of the cultural religion. We suburbanized the gospel. And marriage ceased being a good, which it absolutely is, and became necessary, which it absolutely isn't. And we have a word in the church for taking a good thing and making it necessary. Idolatry. Because the the idolatry of marriage in the church, if I may speak personally here, makes the single people feel like second-class citizens. And oh, by the way, over 50% now, first time in history, over 50% of adults 18 years and older in America are single. We're the majority except in the church. Because it's a real challenge being single in the church. Uh, we might get a sermon every other year or so. Um, every year there's going to be a month-long series on marriage and family. I get it. Usually by the second or third week is when I'm thinking about visiting another church. I have to apologize to Randy. And I'm not proud of this. There was, there was one time Randy when he was preaching at College Heights, was in the middle of a month-long series, and in the second or third week, uh, I wonder what God is up to at Carterville. (laughs) I figured my mom would give me the notes, tell me the highlights. So so I went to Carterville that Sunday, and of course, Robin Sigers is also in the middle of a marriage and family series. Oh, I got to tell you this one. I, you know, I, I got to tell you when I tell you this. I love my church very much. Okay, on occasion I feel a little out of place. Um, about I think it was nine years ago, maybe even ten. But nine, we had a really bad ice storm, right in Joplin, and um, power was out for a major part of the city for a week or so. And uh, Saturday, kind of late morning, and. I'm just kind of sort of fiddling around the house and I'm doing some laundry or something. And I get a phone call. Like, okay, you know. Uh, And it's somebody from the church. I didn't recognize the name. Uh, Somebody was calling. He's like, hey, just wanted to make sure you're doing okay. Um, Is, you know, you got the ice cleared off your driveway. Are you okay? You know, having trouble getting around? I'm like, I'm fine. Thanks for calling. That was odd. 
I didn't think of anything about it until months later I realized that, or I learned that everybody in the church is on a list based on how old they are and like their family status in life. And what list am I on? Older singles. So I'm like, I'm like in my mid-30s, and I'm getting calls for Meals on Wheels. <laughs> you know? like, which, in hindsight, should have totally taken them up on. <laughs> but, but, and, and I, you know, again, I love my church. I don't mean to complain. But I thought about this. Like, you're not going to hear about that challenge otherwise. You know, it's difficult to live content as a single person, as I'm supposed to in Christ. When the church is shaped around couples and families, and I realize that every time I walk into the church building through the parking lot that's just filled with minivans. And by the way, little detour here, this is one reason the church isn't very effective at reaching the LGBTQ community. James K. Smith says this, I think he's right on. We can't expect gay Christians to live celibate lives until we create communities where being single does not mean being alone. When the gay community looks at the church and all they see are couples and families, things which according to us they're not allowed to have, all they see is hardship and nothing redemptive, nothing transformational. They don't see a life that's better than the one they're already living, one that their community promises. But here's the thing, guys. We have the capacity as the family of God to promise and to live out a better community. A loving, spiritual, diverse family that includes everybody, no matter where they are in life. But unfortunately, we diminish that power when we think that everyone ought to couple up and have a family that way. And when we do that, we see singleness as a problem to be solved. That's just not true. There is no issue for your life in which the sole solution is marriage. I ran that by Peter Buckland, and he agrees with me, by the way. (laughs) There is no issue in your life for which the sole solution is marriage. Marriage doesn't solve all your problems. You can be lonely, unsatisfied, stuck in immaturity, in marriage just as much as in singleness. That's what I've heard anyway. Now, the intensity of the marriage relationship will definitely bring to the surface issues where you need to grow and provide a unique opportunity for you to grow. Absolutely. Yes. But marriage itself cannot solve your problems. It cannot fulfill your purpose in life. It cannot make you holy. Only Christ can do that. We cannot think of singleness as a problem to be solved. It's certainly not how Jesus or Paul thought of it. When Paul wrote to a church, and if you have your Bible, it's open to 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, starting in verse 25. We'll have it up here on the screen. But when Paul wrote to a church in an overly sexualized culture, making their regular sacrifices to their own goddess of love, interestingly enough, he does not encourage them to get married, settle down, and promote family values in the community. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 25. Now about virgins. Now here he means women who are engaged to be married, okay? So other translations will say like fiancés or betrothed or something like that. 
I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, he doesn't have a direct command from the Lord, but at the end of the chapter, he's going to remind us that he has the Holy Spirit. Okay, so don't read this as, well, I'm glad this part of the Bible isn't inspired. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Oh, so you think this is just about a present crisis going on in Corinth, so it doesn't apply to us. Uh, yeah, nice try. The word, the NIV translates crisis, is the same word Paul's going to use in a couple chapters for being compelled to preach the gospel. He is under compulsion. And he actually later in the same section, Paul's going to talk about how, uh, describe a man who's not under compulsion to be married. Okay? And Paul never uses the word present to mean current, like current events. It always means this present age. So you could easily, just as easily understand this phrase, present crisis, to mean compelled because of the age that we are in. Which actually I think fits the context better, and I'll explain that in a minute. Verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin married, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And I read this, and I can just see Paul in like a receiving line at a wedding. You know, and everybody's like, you know, congratulating and hugging the bride and groom. And Paul walks up to them, and he takes them both in their hands and looks them in the eye and say, You have not sinned. But you'll have many troubles in this life. <laughs> Here's a Target gift card, you know. <laughs> just like... <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Uh, here's some cake. You know, um, verse 29. <laughs> That's all I had to say about that section. Verse 29. <laughs> what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. This is the crisis he's talking about here. The time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are ha- happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. The time is short. By that he means limited. Everything is temporary. Even the best things in life. Even the best things of the world in its present form. A covenant of selfless love between a husband and a wife. Even that is temporary. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 22. So Paul is here trying to get across to us that we must live. The gospel demands that we live as free as we possibly can for the sake of the kingdom. Our time here to serve, to be willing to sacrifice everything so that one one more person might know Christ is limited. We must live as free as we possibly can. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. And just as Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both Christ's kingdom and somebody else's sense of happiness and satisfaction, let alone your own sense of happiness and satisfaction. I mean, we could bring Chris DeWeld up here and he could talk about missionary families who have trained, raised support, started to learn language, 
but had to return back from the field sooner than they wanted to because of a family issue. We could have a whole line of faculty up here telling stories about people prepared for ministry but were disqualified because of a family issue. We want to spare you some of that. Unfortunately, not every Ozark love story ends happily ever after. That's sad, and it's true. Verse 34. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. When a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict. That's the Greek word for noose, by the way. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. I, I, gotta tell you, I love that word, undivided. There it essentially means undistracted. It's the negative form of the word that describes Mary in the Mary and Martha, or I'm sorry, describes Martha in the Mary and Martha story. Right? All distracted and everything. Mary is choosing what is better. To live focused, to live intentionally, to live at the feet of Jesus. A few more verses here. Verse 36. If anyone is worried that he may not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. The last thing I want to do is replace the current culture that says that marriage is necessary with a different culture that says that singleness is necessary. I don't, I don't want to do that. Right? This life isn't for everybody. I don't want to put that noose around anybody's neck. But more people should. And I should remind you that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Last couple verses here. But the man who settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, that's the word from before, but has control over his own will, who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right? But he who does not marry her does better. What Paul is saying here is this. We are compelled, if we're not already married, to choose something better. Because our time is limited and even the best things in this world are temporary. The demands of our Lord are such that we must live as simply as we can, content with what we have, content to find our sense of identity, of belonging, of family, of satisfaction, of love, solely in the mission of God's kingdom. Taking the gospel to every corner of this world, that should be enough for us. That is enough for us. But I know that's a challenge to believe, especially around here. I walk by the Proverbs 31 bench pretty much every day. And one of these days, I'm going to buy a 1 Corinthians 7 bench and put it right next to it. <laughs> Only have one seat, of course, but you know. <laughs> and I, I know it's a challenge. I know it's a challenge here. I know it's especially a challenge today. Single people, stay off social media, please, for your own soul. The only way you can really believe this, the only way you can really believe this, the only way I can believe this, and certainly the only way I can live like this, is if I believe in the church. That together we can be the truest family. Bound together by the Holy Spirit, focused together in unity on the growth and depth of our kingdom and our church together. That's the only way. 
few years ago, um, my parents had their 40th wedding anniversary. And, uh, and we had one of, one of their friends uh, came and visited. This is up in Illinois where I grew up. And, and, uh, and she came, she's, actually, she's single and unmarried. And she's actually um, Teresa's, my sister's namesake. Is who Teresa's named for, uh, named after. And um, they were all friends at Michigan State University where my dad was doing his PhD and my mom kind of grew up and, and uh, they started one of the kind of the earliest um, campus ministries in the nation. Um, and they were talking there, they were kind of reminiscing and telling stories and all that. And, but I was kind of surprised to hear them kind of bemoan the fact that even 40 years later, they've never really found a community, a Christian community as close knit as that one was. And I so hope that's not true for you. I so hope that's not true for you. For some of you, tragically, this will be the most close-knit and diverse community you'll ever be a part of. So I hope you value, I hope, I hope this generation values more than anything. Beyond your own desires to be married and have a family, to be part of a larger Christian community that's living out Acts 2.42, that's focused in living in complete unity and has the purpose to honor Christ above all, caring for everybody. And when that's true, when we're the kind of family he wants us to be, we can live simple, uncomplicated, intentional lives. We can even be content to sacrifice the joy of a good God-honoring marriage because it's simply better to live with a single-minded focus. It's better not to be identified by whether or not somebody finds you desirable, but solely by how much God desires you together with your desire to honor him. It's better to be able to move at a moment's notice when God has something new for you because the Holy Spirit doesn't always wait for school to be out so we can move the kids without disrupting their lives. It's better to be able to devote 100% of your time and energy to kingdom work. Now maybe some of you will be fortunate enough to find here or somewhere else a partner who truly amplifies your ministry, your gifts, your passions, your ability to serve the kingdom and not complicate things. Maybe you'll find somebody who's really, truly God's gift for you to bring your life into greater focus for him, who in the end makes you more like Jesus. It's the only good reason to get married anyway. And I think, I believe... You can find great examples of those kind of marriages all around, around us here. I mean, you are blessed by having those kind of examples surround you here. That hasn't happened for me. And it may never. And I'm content with that. I'm content. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have the conflict. I'm going to have that inner conflict probably for the rest of my life. But I'm content knowing that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And that God in his incredible grace includes me and tells me that I belong 
to an incredible kingdom that gives me the promise that whatever small things, even things that seem so big for us, like marriage and family, whatever small things we sacrifice for his glory and his kingdom and his honor, he will pay back a hundred, a thousand, a million times more. I'm okay being single because I got a pretty good wedding day ahead of me. Father, thank you that you call us your kids and that you put us in your family and that you call us yours. Help us take care of each other, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.